Hello and welcome to Decoding Cancer from the Irish Cancer Society, the series that aims to answer your cancer questions. For today's episode, we're going to bring things back to the very basics by considering the meaning of cancer and the challenges it poses for everyone in the cancer care and research community as we constantly strive to come up with new, better and more effective treatments. I'm your host, Dr. Robert O'Connor, Director of Research with the Irish Cancer Society. And as always, you can keep an eye out for our new episodes each Tuesday uh, and over the next few weeks on our social media channels, on all podcast platforms, wherever you get your podcasts from. And don't forget, you can comment and share your own thoughts on what you'd like to hear discussed with the hashtag Decoding Cancer. Now, after our first series late last year, we asked the community what questions and topics they'd like covered. And this particular question about cancer treatment came out very strongly. We often take the language of cancer for granted and make assumptions about the level of understanding people have of the disease and how it's treated. So today we've got another two great guests to help us understand this most fundamental question as to why cancer is difficult to treat. So I'm delighted to be joined by Martin Sweeney, who was diagnosed back in 2015 with prostate cancer. And we'll be drawing on Martin's experience to understand this topic on the personal level. So thanks for being with us uh, here today, Martin. And it's really great to have you on board. Very welcome, Rob. Lovely to be here. I'm also joined by Dr. Antoinette Perry, a leading cancer researcher in UCD here in Dublin, who has specialised for much of her career in prostate cancer. And thanks to you uh, as well, Antoinette, for coming on the podcast. I'm delighted to be here today. Okay, well, um, great to have you both. And uh, let's just jump in straight at the the question to to start off with. So, um, Antoinette, what does the term cancer actually mean and why can it be so harmful to us? So I suppose the term cancer in itself is really an umbrella term for a collection of different diseases, probably, you know, more than 200 different types of cancer. And at the very most fundamental level, we understand cancer to be defined by abnormal and uncontrolled cell growth. So this is really a universal phenomenon across uh, different cancer types. So in a normal healthy cell or healthy tissue, there is there's a turnover of cells. So all the time we have new cells being made and old tired cells dying off and being replaced in a very organised fashion. But cancer loses this balance. So our control systems stop working properly. And so this means that we have cells that are growing unchecked and older cells that are not dying off. Um, and Antoinette, would there, would there be a lot of cells or, you know, I suppose maybe people don't understand how small cells are and, and how many are in there. How many does it need to actually cause a cancer? Yeah, so if we kind of take a step back and just think about kind of the biology of the cell. So if, if you imagine that in each cell, the, each cell contains genetic information. So that's the instructions or building blocks for the cell. And the normal process is that every cell will divide into two cells. So it's kind of like a photocopier inside the cell, photocopying that information. So every time a cell divides, there's a chance that there might be a mistake made in that photocopying. And, you know, our our bodies are very well equipped to recognise any mistakes that are made and to pause on that photocopying and make sure the mistakes are fixed uh, before the, the division continues. But there is a chance that a mistake will go unchecked. So at the very basic level, you know, 
it, we're talking about one cell starting off with an abnormality that's going to result in this uncontrolled growth. And if that goes unchecked by our systems, then every cell cells that divide from those cells then will have those mistakes made. So depending on the different cancer type, that can happen very, very slowly over time. In other cancer types, that can happen more rapidly. And as you kind of indicated, you can have a larger mass of cells. And depending on the mistakes that are made, you know, during that replication is going to is going to influence that. But really, the this kind of fundamental feature of uncontrolled growth, this is then followed or can be followed by cells starting to move, the cancer cells starting to move and invade into areas where they shouldn't normally be and kind of setting up a new home there. And this is what we call metastasis. And that's really where uh, the cancer starts causing uh, trouble for, for the patient. So we, we might get, say, uh, an abnormal skin cell or, or in, in the case of Martin, we might be worried about an abnormal prostate cell moving out of the prostate and going maybe to somewhere else like the bone or the liver or something like that. Is that the case? That's it. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we, we think of cancer happening in, in different stages. So, you know, initially you're talking about a, a very localised a confined disease that hasn't moved out the of the originating uh, tissue or, or gland. And then when it starts to move, become maybe locally advanced um, or even metastasize uh, into, as you say, uh, different parts of the body. So that might be bone, liver or or indeed other areas. So I might just stick on that with you for a second more, Antoinette, and we'll come back um, to Martin then and, and he hear from him. But I suppose to, to put it in, in layman's term, with, with some diseases, so say I had a chest infection, for example, I might feel unwell, I'll go to the doctor, they'll have a look, they'll give me maybe some antibiotics, and within a few days, I'm back to my old self. Why can't I just take a tablet for a few days and, and make you know that abnormal prostate cell or skin cancer cell or whatever go away? What makes cancer different? Yeah, so that's... That's a great question. And that's really the, the, the nub of the problem is that the cancer cells are our own cells. So when you're talking about they're having a cold or have some having some kind of infection, you know, that's a different entity whereby either our own immune system can fight it off or indeed you can have medication that that's going to target that specific uh, infection or, or whatever, uh, whatever it is. But here we're talking about our own cells. So even in terms of our our own immune system, recognizing that these cells are behaving abnormally, there's a difficulty even around that. And, you know, cancers can be really, really smart. These changes, these abnormalities that are happening when the, the cells are kind of photocopying themselves, you know, sometimes these can go unchecked or unrecognized by our own um, by our own immune systems. And hence, and even because of, of where the, the tumors develop, you know, it's not until um, the, the disease is more advanced in many instances that a patient will even have any symptoms. So, you know, you're talking about there a case where you start to feel unwell very quickly. Uh, the problem with cancer is, again, depending on the, the type of the disease, quite often by the time anyone notices that there's anything wrong, it's gone beyond where it began. So we, we used to have this concept when, when, when I was in the lab, of this this thing of a, a therapeutic index with, with treatment. So you're kind of saying that because cancer cells are essentially our own cells, it's very difficult to find a way that 
we can selectively kill those slightly abnormal cells that are potentially causing the cancer from the rest of the body cells. Is, is, is that what you're saying? That's right. And there's another key concept, I suppose, to, to introduce to, your, to, to the listeners. And that's this idea of, of heterogeneity. I know that's a, it's a big, horrible word. So let me explain what I mean yeah, here. I, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to ask you to spell that one either. We'll just, we'll just take it heterogeneity. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the problem. This is the real problem now with, with trying to treat cancer. And it, and it comes back to the, the first point I made that cancer is an umbrella term. So there are many, many, many mistakes that can happen uh, when our cells are dividing that can ultimately result in the cell showing uncontrolled growth. So it means that even if you take uh, prostate cancer, as we have Martin here today, if we put 10 men in our in our virtual room here today with, with prostate cancer, the chances are that uh, the underlying changes in the DNA that have resulted in those prostate cancers are going to be completely different in every one of those men. So it means that trying to treat the disease, we're trying to treat 10 different diseases in this example. And of course, you can multiply that by, by infinity. So when we talk about cancer being heterogeneous, we're meaning it's different. It's different between individuals. It's different within an individual between their different tumour cells, because as those cells keep dividing, every time they divide, there's a chance that they will acquire another change that's going to actually be, be quite favourable for that cell to survive. So even within a patient, the biology or the makeup of those tumour cells can be different. And, and there's one there's one other aspect, isn't there, that, that your um, team have, have spent quite a bit working on and that they can develop some of these changes to make them even more resistant to treatment than even the normal cells around them. And does, is, is that an issue for, for prostate cancer? Absolutely, because um, so even if at, at one point in time, if you, if you sequenced somebody's cancer genome, so you knew exactly the information uh, in front of you that you were trying to deal with, you could say, okay, well, these are the sets of mutations or changes in the DNA. Let's give the drugs that will target these. So at this point in time, that might work, but it's not a case because of the differences in the tumour cells. It's not a case that you're going to wipe out all of those tumour cells. And as you say, the tumour can evolve over time. So we see even this temporal heterogeneity. So it, it makes it extremely uh, complicated in terms of, you know, eliminating uh, a tumour cell. Now, that's not to be, I don't mean to be overly negative and get... <laughs> Because there have been lots of great advances that have been made as well. So um, I, our heads are probably slightly full of, of heterogeneity and other complicated <laughs> words now. So uh, and and uh, Antoinette has done a fabulous job outlining the cell and the you know the laboratory and the scientific side. But as more people are overcoming their cancer diagnosis, we're learning about the human side too. So I want to bring Martin in now, if that's okay, to tell us about how you ended up being treated for prostate cancer, Martin and. Was this ever a question that cropped into your mind during or after um, treatment, you know, about um, how come I have to go through all of these procedures and, and yet, you know, I can go to a doctor and get my sore throat fixed with, with a few tablets? So so tell us a bit about your uh, how you came to be treated for prostate cancer. Sure, Rob. Um, I was uh, luckily uh, uh, given a blood test routinely by my GP, Dr. Fox and Rahini. And uh, without any real symptoms that I could uh, 
relate to or, or give him information on. Maybe I was getting up a couple of times during the, the night for a pee. Other than that, it was just uh, there was nothing to indicate that I might have a problem. But my PSA reading was uh, notably higher than it had been the previous time. So he referred me to a consultant who carried out a, a, a physical examination and then referred me for a biopsy. And long story short, that that uh, indicated that I had uh, early stage prostate cancer, which was contained within the prostate, luckily, which was uh, confirmed uh, following a scan. And uh, then I had a range of options, which I had to consider. I had to do a lot of learning about what cancer was and what the what the cancer was actually doing to my prostate and to potentially to the rest of my body, and then make a decision, I suppose, based largely on what the uh, side effects might be and how urgent the the, the treatment was, and I opted for a, a full robotic robotic prostatectomy, and uh, just maybe to, to, just to say, uh, my my father had had uh, a similar surgery 35, 40 years ago, which was successfully treated, but was a much more difficult surgery. There was no robotic element to it. So that's that's another one of these um, kind of complicated words as well, a prostatectomy. So for, if somebody maybe wasn't familiar with that term, what, what does that actually, what does that mean? And what does the robotic element of it mean? Yeah, sorry, I should have explained that the, the options available to me included maybe not doing anything for a period of time or having the prostate uh, removed entirely. Those were the kind of the, the two extreme options. And there are other uh, treatments in between. So the prostatectomy actually involved uh, surgically removing the prostate from my body um, using, luckily, I, I had access to a particularly uh, advanced uh, treatment, a, a Da Vinci machine, which uh, carries out robotic assisted surgery. So the surgeon is really using a, a, a robot to assist him in a very detailed and uh, precise remo removal of the prostate. Uh, but even in doing so, uh, there's a uh, great uh, risk that uh, other areas of the body very close to the prostate will be affected to a degree that would have long lasting effects on the body. And I think most people would be familiar with those relating mostly to urinary control and sexual function in the case of prostate, a prostatectomy. And, and their areas, which uh, unfortunately didn't work out terribly well for me, but and again, just an indication of why there's still so much um, research needed and so many so many areas of improvement needed. And um, like I was saying, my my father had a, a very a difficult prostatectomy without any robotic assistance, and he wouldn't have had any um, counselling or other support to to deal with the mental effects of of his cancer or indeed uh, to deal with the sexual or urinary issues. And my grandfather died from prostate cancer complications uh, about 70, 70 years ago. So it maybe it's just, it shows the two sides that we're advancing in treatment uh, at a remarkable rate, but yet there are still huge uh, improvements there and uh, huge uh, uh, challenges ahead. Yeah, it's, it's actually fascinating how you, how you kind of highlight that within the, the changes in the generations. And also that, that that understanding the language around prostate cancer, the experience of prostate cancer, and Antoinette has brought us very well from the from the cell side, but you've brought it back to I suppose what what some of our listeners might might be experiencing or uh, you know might know of in in, in family uh, members etc. 
Antoinette, could I bring you in there? Um, you've dedicated your research career to tackling some of the issues highlighted by, by Martin, certainly on, on the cell side. And you and I know each other, I suppose, through the generosity of our donors, the Irish Cancer Society has supported some of, of this research. Can you tell us about how your work and uh, maybe even bring in your improver program and, and how you and, and Martin know each other um, and how his, his experience actually contributes into your research? Yeah, absolutely. And so first off to say, it's just so interesting listening to, to Martin's story there, because as you say, you know, I've been working in prostate cancer for like the best part of my career and feel like I know the disease very well, but it's only until you have firsthand experience of it. You know, you, you think you know it well working in a lab, but you're very far removed from the disease and uh, currently going through a uh, not too dissimilar experienced as Martin described in my own family. So it's been a, it's been really illuminating actually to be part of that that journey. So I've been working in prostate cancer since the early 2000s and I got into the field. I did a degree in human genetics in Trinity. And during that degree, we had, I guess, a couple of modules in, in cancer biology. And I just absolutely loved it. And I suppose I had a very formative experience during that, during my degree, I worked with Professor David Barton, uh, who was then running the National Centre for Medical Genetics in Crumlin Hospital. And I did a, a summer internship with him and his team uh, working on a breast cancer project. They were working on hereditary breast cancer. And I just absolutely fell in love with the field and thought this is where my passion is. So I was very lucky to have that experience uh, at an early stage. And from then I came across the field of, here's another technical term now, warning to your to your listeners, uh, came across the field of cancer epigenetics um, uh, once I kind of finished my degree. And that's really the field I've, I've been working in since. So without getting overly complicated, that just means it's kind of another layer of information that sits on the, the genome in, inside, within inside the, the cell or the tumor cell. And we study these changes in, in DNA. And during my PhD, then I got support from the Irish Cancer Society to do an international fellowship at the National Cancer Institute in, in Bethesda. And I suppose even on my own radar now, I follow Vicky Phelan's profile on, on Instagram. And she's amazing at sharing her experience of going through a, a clinical trial over there at the, the NCI. And that support from the Irish Cancer Society enabling me to do that fellowship was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, it was a real formative stage of my career. Um, and I suppose I got to see firsthand, you know, the volume of expertise and um, I guess uh, equipment and facilities there. And it was just absolutely fantastic. And I suppose since then, uh, a lot of my work has really focused on trying to understand um, these epigenetic changes in cancer and and how we can use this information then to try and improve outcome uh, for for men with prostate cancer. Um, and uh, I, subsequent to my to my PhD, I had a fellowship from the Irish Cancer Society, and that was really instrumental in us developing a panel of biomarkers for prostate cancer. So, so what that means is we're trying to develop better ways to detect the disease at an early stage. 
and perhaps even better non-invasive ways. So one of our, our big projects in the lab is, is to try and develop a, a urinary test for early detection of aggressive prostate cancer. And, and that project is our is our EBI capture project. And the Irish Cancer Society have been a huge funder of that project over the years. Could I, could I bring you on to maybe how, how you and, and Martin, though, I mean, arising out of all of that and, and your, your work on the Improver project? Yeah, so I met Martin a couple of years ago through the kind of broader prostate cancer research landscape in Ireland when we were working on a grant proposal and we really welcomed the patient voice into that idea. So I guess to give a bit of insight into how science works, like a big part of my job is uh, not only coming up with ideas to research, but kind of doing all the project planning around that. So the idea is just the, the kind of initial seed. And then you have to, you know, put that in the context of what do we know already and where could we really make um an advance in this and you know what piece of work do we want to do and how are we going to do that so I think I met Martin maybe was it gosh maybe 2017 2018 maybe and then we were working on a proposal I think yeah. so yeah yeah and then more recently we we have a project in the lab that we call improver so that's involving men with prostate cancer and engaged research improver and the idea is to hear from from people like Martin and others who have a lived experience of prostate cancer, right? Where would they like to see changes? So I think Martin mentioned there about you know living with the the side effects from treatment. So that that is one area, and and hearing the the patient voice in terms of their their lived experience, what works well, what doesn't work well, and that'll really then inform uh, the direction of our research, particularly around this this EpiCapture test that that we're trying to develop. Thanks for. That. That, Antoinette. Uh, Martin, back to you. You've been very active in two ways to help people impacted by cancer. Um, one with the, the great folks in the ARC Cancer Support Centre and also with the PPI um, panel, uh, the, with the Improver, the PPI panel in the Irish Cancer Society. So um, can you tell us a little bit about these two and, and why they are important to you? Certainly. I became involved very soon after my own surgery with uh, volunteering for the ARC Cancer Support Services, uh, a fantastic uh, service. Uh, and one of the things that we set up was a, a specific peer group for men who had a prostate cancer story. And uh, we meet once a month. It's now done online, which uh, actually has expanded the, the, the base for people to get involved uh, and has been one of the the, the benefits actually of the, of the virus that we have more people involved now. So it's given us a, a platform where we can get a range of views and experience from men who maybe had their prostate cancer uh, story three or four decades ago to men who are just being diagnosed uh, at the moment. And uh, a lot of that information then was feeding into some of the research that Antoinette uh, mentioned and the research uh, topics we were we were dealing with uh, a couple of years ago. And there's, a, there's another similar study underway at the moment. I'm also involved in the Matter Hospital with uh, the PROSPER initiative, which is a, a pre preparing patients for their prostate cancer surgery. So it's giving a kind of a patient uh, experiences to, as, as opposed to, or, or alongside, I should say, the information that's been given by the, the surgeons and the technical and uh, medical people. So uh, I'm, I'm very passionate generally about research and about the strength of science and, and, and uh, how, how information and uh, building and gathering is, is the key to making treatment better ultimately for patients. And therefore, being involved as, in the PPI uh, is a, a fantastic opportunity to put 
uh, to recognise the importance of having patients and the public at the centre of of research and at the centre of improved treatment uh, for people with cancer, of course. Yeah, so you, you've done a great a great explanation there because I, I dropped in and then you dropped in this another one of these science jargon things, this PPI, with, which stands for public and patient involvement. But you've really explained it really well. It's about a partnership between those that are doing the, the, the research, but the people who are impacted by it and, and each working together as a team where maybe in the past we've tended to be very much in isolation. Would would, would that be? In, maybe Antoinette, you might come in there a little bit as well, because you know we've both been around in the in the research arena, and we cut our teeth on on playing with cells in labs and and so on. Maybe you might articulate a little bit of, of why this has become so important now in research. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think your word partnership is exactly right. But probably until, you know, the last few years, I would have considered that our research was done in partnership with clinicians, partnership with funding bodies, you know. Uh, I would never really have considered, and it seems so silly to say it now, but that we should be partnering with patients. So, you know, over the last number of years, we've actually recruited more than 600 men from across Ireland who have very kindly given given their samples. So they've given blood, they've given biopsy tissue, they've given urine. And, you know, without those samples, none of this research would be happening. So it's, you know, an incredible uh, an incredible resource and an incredible um, gesture that th- that these men have have given in terms of very kindly donating their samples. But as I say, it's only in the last couple of years that my own eyes have kind of opened up to the fact that, in fact, we can partner uh, with patients in a much more open way rather than just them giving samples that we can then work on remotely in the lab but that we can actually hear their their voice listen to them their needs around around prostate cancer so over the last um couple of months we've we've run uh, some focus groups with men living with prostate cancer and they've been able to share with us with us their experiences uh, and and problems and difficulties, particularly around the early detection of the disease. And that information is absolutely vital in terms of shaping our research programme to make sure that we're absolutely on point addressing not what we think are the problems, but that what men actually living with the disease can tell us, you know, these firsthand are the problems and difficulties that we that we're having. Yeah, we, we, we might bring Martin in there because un- unfortunately the clock is against us and we're sadly coming to the end of the episode. Um, but maybe back to you, uh, Martin, and, and you were diagnosed now, what, about, about six years ago. Uh, and you must have been through and, and learned a lot. Um, and, and thankfully, you're working and, and using that learned experience. But if you were to get in a time machine now and we went back those six years or, or so, um, what would you tell yourself, including, you know, what to expect about the journey that maybe you wouldn't have known at that stage? Yes, it's, it's a great question because it, it's such it was such a shock that uh, you, you, you go into all sorts of different uh, places. And uh, I think in hindsight, the most important thing that I did was to um, face up to the fact that I had been diagnosed with cancer, first of all, and look for uh, as much information as I could about what was happening and uh, to seek that information in uh, the, the, the best way I could uh, through uh, support, support groups and going directly to my GP and my oncologist uh, and assessing the situation. 
the, there's something quite particular about prostate cancer in that uh, the once diagnosed, the question goes back onto the patient again as to what choice they want to make. Uh, usually, unless the cancer has spread, which makes it a, a kind of a dif- different uh, diagnosis of cancer than than would be the norm. So uh, there's a lot of learning necessary in a very short space of time, and then you've got to make a, a decision whilst you're in that that very unsure and uncertain place. Uh, and you, you hopefully will get make that decision, uh, make make a correct decision, because of the long-lasting potential side effects of a prostate cancer uh, treatment. So I suppose to, to just summarise the answer to the question: face up to what you, what the news you've received, and get as much information as much support as you can, because you're going to have to make a very important decision, and you're going to need as much support. Uh, around that yeah so support from from evidence-based yes. sources I, I think you were emphasizing yes. there as well because unfortunately there there can be some misinformation absolutely all right I, unfortunately time is against us i'm really grateful again to our two guests to martin sweeney I've just heard from there and to dr antoinette perry really great chatting to you if any of our listeners would like to find out more and support the vital research funded by the Irish Cancer Society, you can visit us at www.cancer.ie. And remember to keep an eye on our social media channels for new podcast episodes. Let us know your thoughts, your ideas using the hashtag decoding cancer. So hashtag decoding cancer. Anyone who would like help or advice on any of the topics we touched on today can contact our dedicated Irish Cancer Society support line on free phone one 800 200 700 or email support line at irishcancer.ie that's support line all one word to speak to one of our specialist cancer nurses who'll help with a range of different challenges that can arise in cancer don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be discussing the proud and sometimes surprising contribution that irish researchers have made and are continuing to make towards some of the biggest cancer breakthroughs in history 